few weeks, we're going to be doing another little mini-series, and we're looking at being a good neighbor. A lot of what Jesus talked about as, as he was teaching people, he was talking about being neighbors, and we see a lot about, you know, love God and love your neighbor, right? Those are the two biggest commands that, that were given to us in Scripture is love God and love your neighbor. So right now, kind of as we get started, just would like to give you the opportunity to love your neighbor. So reach over, pat somebody on the back, you know, encourage. If you think they dressed well this morning, you can say so. But uh, to, to really kind of get into what we're talking about, about loving our neighbor, and I'm going to just come down here if that's okay this morning. We focus on that, and, and that's important. We need to talk about that. But to set that up, to really begin that, I wanted to talk about where this love comes from. Now, we sing about this, this, this love of God that, that is uncontainable. It's uncontrollable. This, this love that God has for us, you know, it, it is boundless. It's not something that you can contain. And so, you know, when it comes to us as God's children and his body, his visible representation on earth, that is what we are. We are the body of Christ. So we are this body, which is supposed to be a body of love. So that is our role. So how then does that play out, and how does that live out, and how does that affect what we're going to do outside these walls? Now, two verses for us this morning, and again, I'm going to try to keep it short because I'm still making up for a couple of those really long weeks earlier in the month, and uh, try to get you out of here on time. But John chapter 13, we will have it up on the screen for you, but two verses. And these are verses you've probably heard before. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How are we supposed to love one another? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then there's this phrase, and there was a, 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 a church song we used to sing, and I've mentioned it before, but um, I, it always drove me nuts because it, was, it would go like this. They will know we are, we are, we are one in the Father, we are one in the Lord, we are one in the Father, we are one in the... And it's just this really, you know, minor, sad, depressing kind of a song. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. It's like, it's like... Uh, yeah, they'll know we're Christians by the fact that it looks like we're trying to force ourselves to have to love people around us, is what that song kind of said to me. It's like, oh, I don't really want to love people. I don't really want to love the people. That's like, if I could choose to love somebody, it wouldn't be these people. You know, or, that's kind of what the song sounded to me like it was saying. It's like, I don't, really, I don't really love you, but I have to sing these words because the pastor chose that song for this morning, so I'm going to sing it, and I'm going to sound depressed while I'm doing that. But uh, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, by what, what is the thing that the world is going to look at and see that they, that this, okay, these, these are a bunch of weirdos because of the way they love one another, and I can tell that they are following Jesus because look at the way they love one another. By what, by this love, this radical love, that Jesus has given and shown to us is the same kind of love by which we're supposed to love each other. And I'll just be honest with you, that's, that in and of itself is a little bit convicting, isn't it? It's a little bit convicting to look at the way Jesus loved us and then to say, okay, it's my role and my responsibility now as a follower of Jesus Christ to replicate this love and the lives of the believers in the community God has placed me. Now, I'm going to get up on a couple soapboxes this morning, and they're not unfamiliar soapboxes, and maybe I should stand up on the box just for fun while I'm doing it. But... Um, I think one of the greatest tragedies that has maybe beset the church in, in recent years is some of our adaptation of, of 
world culture ideas and ideals. Now, the first one I want to talk about is one that I've talked about many times, and, and it is selfishness. And I'm not going to just hammer on, hammer on everybody this morning, but, but I think some of the very subtle ways the world has infiltrated the church is through the means of selfishness. And so I think how that, though, plays out is that selfishness becomes the vehicle that we use to determine how much of ourselves we're going to give to people and community around us. Let me uh, maybe illustrate. When I was a kid, you know, I grew up in a, in a pastor's family, and uh, we, my parents literally moved all around the world in their ministry. They, they got married. I think they uh, spent the first, first few years in Indiana, and they were Brazil's, or missionaries in Brazil for about seven years, and so they spent seven years down in Brazil. They can speak fluent Portuguese. You know, that's, that's kind of cool to have parents that speak Portuguese, and they'll use that language when we were kids to try to hide things from us until we started taking Spanish, and then we could start picking up on some of the phrases that they were saying because their sister language is not exactly the same, but I could understand some of what they were saying when they started talking, and so they had to start doing that less and less, although they could probably do it now, and I still wouldn't pick up on anything. But So they came back to the United States, and then they went to Iowa, and they were uh, associate pastors in Iowa. And then after that, they moved out to California, and they were there for a very short period of time, but long enough for me to get born, which is where I was born in Carmichael, California. And two, my, two weeks after I was born, we moved up to Woodland, Washington, not far from where we are currently living. Spent uh, uh, the first couple years of my life there, and then Dad took a job at Good Shepherd Wesleyan Church in Jackson, Ohio, and moved the family all the way across the country for this job. And, um, of course, some bad things happened there, like has happened at uh, every church at some point in time. But uh, I remember early on, you know, we had, had service in the sanctuary much like this. You know, had this, had this nice high peak to it. We had uh, red carpet Right, red carpet and red pews, just like a lot of the cool churches did back in the Midwest. Just a lot of really cool stuff, and and a lot of you know bright shiny wood, right? Nice, really stained wood, a nice stained wood floor, and stained altars, and a nice a nice oak pulpit, right? Everything was oak there because that's what they have is oak, and so just this really nice, beautiful facility that we're in, and and it's one of the, it was one of the nicest, at least in town, at least from what I remember growing up, and and so. Uh, it was just kind of a nice place and had stained glass windows that surrounded the sanctuary on all four sides. And you can kind of, kind of get the feeling, you know, you're sitting in this place that kind of feels like church, right? You know what I'm talking about? You can go to some buildings and it just feels like a church when you go there. And, and so that's, that's what was happening there, just this beautiful facility. And so I was a pastor's kid, and, and one of the Sunday mornings, I don't remember why, because most Sunday mornings, we would, the kids would kind of be off and doing their own thing, Sunday school and kids' church and so on. But one Sunday morning, we were sitting, us kids, I have a sister who's 15 months older than me, sitting in the sanctuary and uh, kind of all there as a family. And and I remember that Sunday, it was a little odd, but uh, Dad gave us kids 50 cents to put into the offering plate. Two quarters, right? I mean, and we didn't have a lot of money, and especially as kids, I don't, you know, this is the first time I ever remember having 50 cents. Like here in my hand, I'm just kind of holding, holding these two quarters, right? And Anyone remember when you were a kid and we kind of first got those coins and, you know, you get paper money, but it doesn't feel like money, but you get quarters and pennies and dimes that feels like you're holding on. And I just, I just remember that feeling as, as I had these quarters in my hands, like I have real money in my hands. And so we kind of go through the service as we, as we typically do. And, you know, in, in those days we had these brass plated offering plates. You remember those? They were about this deep, and they were just real fancy, and they also had red velvet on the inside. We were really addicted to red, apparently, in that time, and uh, everything had to be red. And so, we, you know, the ushers would come, and they'd kind of walk down the aisles and pass, pass the plate, right? And there, there was an offertory that was going on, usually, that somebody was playing a really fancy offertory on the piano or organ or something like that. And I was sitting, well, I was sitting right about here. And, uh, and I remember the usher comes and he's got the offering plate, 
and he sees that I have money in my hands, and he holds the offering plate right in front of me. And so I'm faced with this decision, right? I have to decide what I'm supposed to do with this money, which wasn't really my money, but all of a sudden it's in my hand, so it feels like my money. And so I'm having to decide at this moment in time what I'm going to do with this money. And the usher is standing there with the plate right in my face, and I feel like he's really pressuring me, like, come on, kid, give it to me. And so I do what any good kid would do, and I shove the quarters into my mouth. Anybody ever swallowed a coin? Yeah, so what, if, if you swallow a dime, if you swallow a penny, even if you swallow a nickel, usually not a whole lot to worry about, right? I mean, we, uh, you know, what's going to happen? Nature's going to take its course in about 24 to 48 hours. It's all going to be good again. But that doesn't always happen when you swallow quarters. And in fact, that did not happen this time when I swallowed this quarter, because I put the quarters in my mouth to keep the offering from God like God had uh, commanded me to do because Dad gave me the money. I was just supposed to put it in the offering. That was the whole point of the exercise, and I disobeyed. And so um, I throw the quarters in my mouth, and I swallow them, and instantly what happens is my body starts doing everything it can to make sure that this thing that is stuck in my throat gets back out of my throat right? And so what happens then is I literally start expelling things on the church's precious, beautiful red pews and red carpet. And my dad picks me up and puts me literally over his shoulder and starts carrying me out of the sanctuary. And a trail of, we'll just call it a trail of selfishness for... Uh, trail of selfishness follows dad outside these doors. I remember he went out this way and then, and then goes out the back doors and goes downstairs in the basement and then comes out on the other side where the water fountain is and tries to get me to drink water to hopefully wash the quarter down. And of course, I just fill the water fountain with more selfishness. And and the next thing I remember, I am in a car on the way to the hospital, backseat of somebody's car at the church, to have this quarter taken out of my throat. See, I was, I was a real kid, just like all of you. Just, I did stupid things. But that served as, as my whole life as a, as a reminder of when God gives you something and tells you to do something with it, the best way to respond is to do what he told you to do with it, right? When, when God gives you something and he's gracious to give you something, the response is, okay, he says he gave this to me, and he said to give it in this certain way, and so my response then is to give it in this way, and that's the best thing I can do. And when we don't, when I don't, when I respond and I resort to selfishness, and I'm going to take all of whatever God has given to me, and I'm going to hoard it to myself, who knows what's going to happen, because we were never really designed to retain the things God has given to us in the way that we try to retain them. And I think what happens is we have this gift of God's abundant, un, you know, immeasurable, abounding love that he's given to us, that he's poured out to us graciously. And what I fear that we are starting to do in the church today is we are starting to take that love and say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to do this with it, and I'm going to shove it all inside and keep as much as I can for myself when we were never, and the love of God was never designed to be treated that way. See, what, what we were designed to do was really to just kind of be a conduit, the vehicle through which God's love flows to one another. And what happens when, when we close ourselves off and we're trying to hoard and retain and keep all of God's love for ourselves is what really happens is we keep ourselves from being able to receive God's love from the others around us. 
You see, you, you, you think about it. If God's love is supposed to flow through me to you, and if God's love is supposed to flow through you to me, the only way for us to really exchange God's love is to be giving it, right? To be giving and receiving and giving and receiving and giving and receiving. But where it all breaks down is when we just kind of focus on the receiving and stop giving. See, we were, we were commanded. This is one of Jesus' commands. This is not a request. This is not something where Jesus said, ah, if you feel like it, if you're having a good day and if you're in the right frame of mind, you know, if you've had a good week, then, then if you feel like doing this, then, then, you know, love one another as I have loved you. When it all works out, it's all good. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What kind of love? This kind of radical self-sacrificing, willing to give everything and die in a humiliating way kind of a love is the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another. My, my, my prayer and my, my passion for us as a church as we move into this summer is that, is that we really start to just dive headfirst into this idea of God's love. That we just you say, you know what, I, I'm not, I'm, I've talked about this before, but no, I'm not just going to dip my toes into the water to see how the water feels, but today, which don't go take my advice literally and go jump into a river today because I don't want to be the cause of you drowning and being on the news, but... Um, you know, today I, I'm jumping off the cliff and I'm just coming in all the way. But what is it that, what is the one thing, I think the one thing that keeps us from really being able to do that is me, right? I think that that comes out of a couple of different, different areas. For me, my personal story, some of the things that, that were challenging for me to get over to be able to be in a community of Christ again, where I had been hurt many times in the church. And I've shared this with you several times, but just treated poorly. And, and even what some other pastors, as, I, as I've listened to them, they would call you know, uh, spiritual abuse from, from uh, my, my leader, my senior pastor, and, and uh, some of the ways that I was treated. And after going through some of that in a couple of consecutive churches, you know, I didn't think I was coming back. Well, if this, is what, if this is what the body of Christ looks like and this is how the body of Christ lives out this love that we're supposed to be living, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. But as I look back, not only on my response to that, but on all of the situations, what I see is, for one, the, the flawed, imperfect beings that are running our churches some of whom are doing their best and just happen to hurt people in the process, others who are not doing their best and are intentionally wounding people in the process. But still, all of it kind of revolves around this idea of selfishness. Am I making this church about me? Or am I making this church about the body? See, those things that, that were done to me in my past, it was just, you know, just selfishness on the part of the senior pastor and the others who had done those kinds of things and creating a desire in a world that really shouldn't have existed in a church, but they were able to do it. And so I think there's that. I think that that's one thing that keeps us from really wanting to buy in, you know, to, to really be sold out in terms of community, of loving one another the way that we've been called to love. And that one plays into the second one, but this one can work on its own too, is the idea of fear. And that scripture that the worship team put up this morning, you know, we're, we're not supposed to be slaves to fear. Fear is not supposed to be something that's a controlling factor in our lives. This is something that we were set free from, that the power of Christ sets us free from fear, and yet so much of our life is determined by what we're afraid of. Anyone afraid of spiders? all right, I'm afraid of spiders. Real men are afraid of spiders. No, I'm not, I'm not as afraid of spiders as I used to be, but I saw on Facebook this big, uh, uh, it was in Australia, this big, massive 
the spider and it supposedly you know, wasn't hurting anybody, but I'm like, that's just the only plausible thing to do is to smash it with whatever is around. And, you know, that's what you do to spiders, right? The spiders do not deserve to live in the same quarters with human beings. God did not design them to, to live indoors. He made them to be outside where the bugs are so they can trap the bugs in their webs. That's how the whole ecosystem works. And if spiders get indoors, then the whole thing starts to collapse and break down because there aren't very many bugs inside. So they're just going to starve to death anyway. So the best, most humane thing I can do for a spider is to put them out of my misery, right? And so that's what I do. But if I allow my fear of spiders to control my living in my house, then what is going to happen? Well, we live on a farm. I'm not going to have very much living space left if I allow my fear of spiders to control how I'm going to respond. And I think this is true for us in the church. We, we allow our fear to dictate how much we're going to open up and invest and receive. You know, fear of, well, you know, they don't really know me. If, they, if I let someone really know me, well, I'm not going to be accepted as a part of the body, you know. So no one knows who I am or who I really am, and certainly no one's going to accept me if they really know who I am. And so, you know, I just I have this fear that keeps me from really opening up and becoming a part of it. Or like we had talked about, you know, I have this fear of I've been hurt in the church before. I've been wounded, and I've been, been taken advantage of. And so if I, if, I, if I let myself, you know, open up and be a part of the community again, then I'm just, I'm just opening myself up to all that pain, right? I mean, that's all that's going to happen is eventually I'm going to end up where I was before. And we allow our fear to control us and keep us from being a part of community like we were designed I don't know if you were here a couple of weeks ago when I read it, um, but there was this picture of community that's just really stuck with me, how the early church lived in such a way that when uh, Caesar sent the messenger, you remember that story, Caesar sent the messenger and the messenger sent back, hey, these people are crazy, they love one another in this really radical way, and when people come in and they need food, then they'll fast. This is for one reason or another, the part that sticks with me the most, but somebody needs food, then the rest of the community will fast for two or three days so that they can provide and save up enough food to give food to the one who doesn't have any food, and they welcome people in and they take care of them, and they just do all of these things, and they just kind of live in this radical kind of community. And then at the very end of this letter, as he's kind of wrapping things up, he says there is something divine about the way that they live and love one another, that the presence of God is amongst them. And I think, for one, we are, we are strides down the road as a church to becoming and being that kind of community, that, that when people come here on Sunday mornings and when we have all bothered to do the hard work to get here by 10 o'clock… <clears throat> 10, 15, 10, 20. Then, then when we have some visitors that come in and mingle with the body who is here, <coughs> there is a sense, and this is one of the comments we hear most of the time when visitors come, I just, I just felt loved. I felt loved. I felt welcomed. And while we're here, I, I just want to challenge you a little bit. I want to challenge us as a church. You know, the difference between 10 o'clock and 10.15 is no different than the difference between 9.45 and 10 o'clock, right? I mean, if, if we can get here by 10.15, then it's really not that big of a deal to get here by 10, and not really that big of a deal to get here by 9.50. But the reason that we want you here on time is not... It's not selfish, and I know a lot of that kind of comes out. It's perceived that way. You know, David only wants people, David only cares about people if they're there on Sunday. That's one of the complaints I've heard pretty regularly. He said, you only love me if I'm at church on Sunday. And the truth of the matter is, it's really hard for me to be able to have any kind of exchange or relationship with you if you're not here on Sunday. So there is some truth to that. It's not that I only love you if you're here on Sunday, but it's hard for me to love you if I can't see you, right? That's kind of how the whole thing works together. And when we go long times without being able to have eye contact and face-to-face -face interaction, how's your life going? What's, what's going on? It's hard for me to love you when, when I'm not with you. 
So that's not, that's not what I'm saying, but one of the reasons we really want you to be here early on Sundays is so that those who are coming from the outside world into our church community and they rub shoulders with you, not me, I'm not the important thing here, you, us, together as the body of Christ, as we rub shoulders together and encourage one another and as we welcome those in from the outside who don't know Christ and they experience and feel and receive God's love in a way they never have before, that is going to speak volumes. In fact, I think that will speak more to them than any word I could ever say. And so that's one of the reasons we, we just we're, we push on that from time to time is that we, we want you to be the testimony of God's love to the unbelieving world. But this morning, I, I want to I ask two questions. One is, what's keeping you? What is keeping you from stepping into this community into real relationship with the believers around you? And what do you need to do to step into it as you understand what's keeping you from doing it? So what, maybe it's fear, and if you, have que- if you have other things, I'd love for you to send those in to me this morning to the, to the number 360-818-4399. If you have other things that are keeping you from, uh, from really entering into community, then I'd love to know what those are. Of course, now it's going to make me sign in. Had to get a new phone this week. My other one actually did stop working. It's not one of those excuses like, oh, I had to get a new phone this week. It's just... My phone is in my drawer. I'm hoping maybe it'll, the battery will eventually die enough that I can. Your account is not ready to use. Okay. There we go. Somebody already texted in. Snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of snakes too. I have I I try not to kill the snakes though because I hate mice more than I hate snakes. And so I'm hoping that maybe by having a more few more snakes around the house we can take care of some of the mice problems that we have. Like last night we had a mouse in our house in the bathroom. Like I'm getting ready for bed. It's like eleven thirty, right? Just done with the day and you know, I'm just I, you know, I don't remember, I was doing something, brushing my teeth and mouthwash, you know, whatever it was, and just kind of out of the corner of my eye, I just see this little whoosh, and it just stops right there because it sees me and, you know, hunkers down, tries to hide, and <clears throat> so I throw a towel on it to try to catch it because, you know, I don't want to grab it with my hand because it might bite me because, I don't, I don't know, mice bite, maybe they bite, I don't know. Probably some irrational fear that I don't need to have. But it's like, I don't want to grab it with my hand. I'm barefoot, so I don't want to smash it with it. If I had a shoe on, I would have smashed it. <laughs> runs out from under the towel and then runs all throughout the house, and I have no idea where it is. So, you know, snakes are a good thing. But <laughs> what, is it, what are the fears that kind of keep you from stepping into and engaging this community like we're supposed to? What is it, what is it that's holding you back? And I think for most of us, it really is just us, right? It's just, it's, you know, I just don't have the time. I'm too busy. You know, I'm too busy with, with all the other really important things in life that I can't make time for this. And I would like to push and challenge on that a little bit because this is one of the most important things that, that really ought to affect and change how the rest of our life functions. And the problem is we try to make church and God this thing we add to the rest of our lives when God designed it for something that's supposed to be you know, organizing and orchestrating how the rest of our life is supposed to function. And so until we make it the central focus like God has designed it to be, we're going to continue to struggle and fighting to make it our own thing. But what's keeping us? What is the fear that's keeping you from really stepping into loving one another like we're supposed to love? Someone said, have you considered getting a cat for them? Yeah, we've got two cats. One cat now is catching two mice a day, which is astounding to me. For one, it's awesome that the cat is catching two mice a day, but how can we have so many blasted mice that it can catch two mice a day, day after day after day after day after day? I know we live on a farm, and that's just something you have to get used to on the farm, but I don't accept this reality. I will continue to live and bang my head against the wall until it's resolved. But what is keeping us from stepping into community? You know, it's our busyness. Maybe, maybe it's fear. Maybe I just, maybe we're waiting for someone to ask me, just waiting for someone to invite me. And Today, my, my application, my challenge for you is going to be really clear and uh, applicable. Might be a challenge, but 
Over the next two weeks, I would love it if, if you could and if we all could commit to, you don't have to get, 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 the, get together in two weeks, but get the plans on the calendar. Plans to say, you know, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask someone I have not had dinner with, someone I do not yet know at our church, and I'm going to invite them over to our house for dinner. I'm going to go, you know, we can go to a park and hang out for a couple of, for a couple of hours or 30 minutes. We can go get coffee together. We can just go for lunch together after church on a Sunday morning or, you know, just something where we intentionally are trying to build community and relationships with others in the church and those that we already know. And my second challenge is for the rest of this morning, which is why we are sitting in this different way, is for you to get outside your comfort zone on a Sunday morning because we all kind of have the people we're drawn to, right? The, the people that we just naturally are able to talk to. We have things in common, and so we go and we have the same you know, interesting conversation that we are able to have, and so it kind of keeps us from branching out. Well, well, who can you talk to today that you don't know and start to get to know and break down a wall that's keeping you from really joining together as a community? But we're never going to be the kind of community that God wants us to be as long as, you know, me, myself, and I are making all of the decisions about how we are supposed to do this thing called church. The real way, the only way we can be this community is if it starts with Jesus and you, right? Jesus and others. What did Jesus say when he was saying this? He said, a new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. We have to love God. We have to. This is one of the first and greatest commandments that Jesus says elsewhere in Scripture. He says the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Your entire being is supposed to be wrapped up in loving God. And then the next one that he says is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to talk over the next couple of weeks about loving your neighbor. And it's important that we kind of get back to some of these basic principles of loving our neighbors and how that plays out and works out in our real day-to-day life. But, but if we spend a lot of time loving our neighbors and we go outside these walls and we do our best to love those who don't yet know Christ, and then we bring them back into a community that doesn't really love one another the way that Christ has called us to love, and we're not at this really deep level kind of self-sacrificial serving, giving, and loving in the way that's best for the others, not just what's best for me, but in the way that is giving to you what you really need, then what we're inviting them into is nothing different than what they're going to receive in the world out there. Because that's how, how the world functions, right? The, the whole world functions in a me-first kind of way. Is that, you know, I'm going to do everything in life to get what I want out of life. I'm going to work so that I can get the money that I want so I can have the life that I want. And I'm going to do all of these things. And that's how the world functions. And what God does is he flips that on the head. No, you, you don't think that way. You have received all of this as gifts from me. And I have given this love, given all of this to you to flow through you to the world and the people around you. The second question I want to ask you is maybe a little harder to to ask, but and I'll ask this of myself. Am I am I the am I the blockage? Am I where it all stops? You know, in, in, the, in the body, when you have blood that's not getting where it's supposed to be, you get, you get a clot and it kind of stops the blood from going to crucial parts. And if it's in a, the wrong spot, then it can really just suck the whole life out of the body. Am I the clot? Am I, am, I the, am I the one that's, instead of receiving God's love and giving and transferring God's love to the people around me, am I, just, am I receiving God's love and receiving everyone else's love and just kind of holding it all in for myself and everything kind of breaks down and stops? Am I, am I the clot? That's a lot better than being called a clod, which is what our choir director in college always used to call us was a bunch of clods. So, uh, you know, like the dirt clods, you know, we had, yeah. That's real nice, isn't it? It's real encouraging. You can say, hey, my pastor called us a bunch of blood clots this morning. Well, that's kind of true. But 
Am I the one that's kind of stopping the flow of God's love? And, you know, God's love is uncontrollable. He's going to get His love where He wants it to go, whether we're part of it or not. But he, He has chosen to use us as the means through which His love goes. So I'm just going to ask that as you think about your life and our life as a body of Christ, what is keeping us from stepping into this community that God has given to us? It's, it's really a great blessing and, and so, so many ways that, that, uh, that, I, that I can't take the time to go into here. This is an amazing community, and I want you to know that, and I really want to encourage you in that because this, this is an amazing community, but I just feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface. We're just skimming the top of the water and the depths of what God has for us as a community, just sitting right beneath us as we skim across the top of the water. And what God wants for us more than anything is to, is to just stop trying and fighting and trying to make it what we want and just to let ourselves sink down into the depths of what He has for us and His love. And, I think what we have here is amazing and what God has for us in the future as we step into this real biblical kind of love is going to blow our minds. But the only way that can happen is if we lay down our expectations that I need to get my needs met first and we start looking to meet the needs of those around us. And then I am without a doubt convinced that as we continue to grow into that kind of community, as we continue to become that kind of community, that as God brings those through you as you're out there loving your neighbors and loving your coworkers and loving your family members and all of those who don't know Christ, as, as you're out there doing the hard work of, of living a life of testimony and just looking for all the ways like we talked last week about how God is active in your life day to day and how he's doing all these things. And then as you continue to just pass on the stories from week to week, how God has done this for me. I just, you know, we're giving God the thanks and the praise for all of the good that He has done for me. And as we continue to live that, and you work the soil and you prepare the soil, and eventually you get to share the gospel and talk about all that Jesus has done for you and the life that He gave for you and the resurrection that He's offering to you. And you work that process of, of bringing someone into the kingdom. And then they come here and they experience this kind of deep, authentic, real community that we all long to be a part of because we were made to belong. We weren't made to just skim on the surface and get to know a bunch of people in superficial ways like we all do on Facebook, but to get really deep and know someone. And as they're drawn into that and they see us loving one another and loving them in this radical kind of way, I think that will just be irresistible. And we know that it is from Scripture because we see how when they loved one another this way, it was irresistible to those who were around them. For some of us, you know, we haven't been here that long, and this is just, okay, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to get to know some people, and I can see you already in my mind after church going over to someone you don't know and say, hey, let, let's, let's do dinner together. If you're not comfortable having someone over to your house, then let's go to McDonald's or let's go to Applebee's. You know, you guys can set the place based on what you're comfortable with in terms of income and all of those kinds of things, and let's set the bar really low so if people don't have a lot of money, there's not this expectation that we have to go eat, you know, ribeye on the waterfront and spend $100 a plate. Let's just kind of just say, you know what, the point is getting to know one another, not the food that we eat, and I can see a lot of us doing that, and I can see others that, you know, we, we have our communities that we're connected to, so I don't really need to branch outside of that, and so, you know, just... What's it going to take for you to step beyond where you are and get to know this whole body as God has assembled here? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're going to finish today, and then I'm done. The Bible app makes me, well, I either have to lie or feel like I'm lying. So get that get the question. Do you love the Bible app? Have you, anyone else got that question on your app when it was like it'll pop up on you? Do you love the Bible app? And I do love the Bible app. Maybe we're kind of playing it loose with the word love, but I love the Bible app. But then what I know is after I click that button the first time, they're gonna say, Hey, go give me a review on iTunes, and that makes me mad. So it's like, so now I just say, Do you love the Bible app? No. And then they say, Well, so either way, they're just going to ask me extra questions. Well, what? Send us a message to let us know what you don't like about the Bible app. Well, the only thing I don't like about the Bible app is that you're always asking me if I like the Bible app. So just stop asking me 
about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter, right? This is one that we've talked about as read at many weddings, and there's nothing wrong with it being read at weddings. But I would encourage you and challenge you this week to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14. And as you do that, I want you to think about love in the context where actually it is used in this section. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about the body, being the body, the body and all of its members, and how God has brought this body together, and how a hand can't say to the foot, we don't need you, and the hand can't say to the eye, I'm not getting it all right, but you know, you know what if, if the whole thing were an eye, that would be disgusting, and no one would want to go see the whole thing as an eye. And so, you know, it's like, if the whole thing were an ear, where would the sense of sight be? You know, this, this is the body that he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then in chapter 14, he's talking a lot about worship services, and when you gather, this is kind of how things are supposed to look. So he's still talking about the body, and 1 Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth, so the whole letter is written to the church. It's not just singled out and written to married couples. He's writing to the body of Christ, and so within the context of that, when he's talking about love, he's talking to us as the followers of Jesus Christ, and he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, then if I deliver up my body to be burned as a martyr but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Would that be the definition of our church if someone were to come in and do a love audit on us from the outside? Would they be able to look at us and say, you know what, you, you love one another in this way? Or would they look and say, you know what, we've got some work to do. We've got, got some room for improvement here as a church. And what I think the call is, is this verse here, verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child when I became a man. I gave up childish ways. I think, I think what we need is to, sorry ladies, I'm not singling, you know, ignoring you, but we need to man up a little bit, right, when it comes to the way we love one another. It's like, woman up. We need to, we need to grow up in our love. We, we need to stop looking at love the way a child looks at love, and the only way a child understands love is, for one, the love that it receives from its parent, and most of the time, you know, the way that a child receives love, you know, that thinks about love is, actually, this is not true. A lot of times our kids are very selfless in their love, but kids are also very selfish because that is our human nature. But let's, let's grow up in our love, church. Let's grow up today. Let's, let's decide today, you know what, I am, 
I'm committing, and, and I'm going to love one another as I have been loved. I'm going to love those that God has put around me in Christian community in such a radical way that when unbelievers see how we love one another, how we care for one another, how we encourage one another, how we support one another, when they see that from the outside, they say, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want something that looks like that in my life. Can I come and be a part of what you're doing? And because we are so filled and overflowing with this radical kind of love, we say, you bet you can because there's more than enough love to go around. So, so come on in. We're not going to keep you on the outside and hope that you get what you want, we're going to bring you in and love you in the way that we have received love. Can we, can we just kind of commit to this kind of love as a church? Can we say, you know what, I, I'm all in when it comes to loving one another. I'm all in when it comes to loving God through my church. And if we do, if we do, I think the love we then receive as a result will blow our minds. I think if we kind of sign the dotted line today and we make this commitment, I'm going to love my family, I'm going to love my church family in this radical kind of way that as we look back on this day a year from now, the first Sunday of June in 2018, we just kind of look back and we say, you know what, I, I remember last, last year we kind of made this commitment, we just drew this line in the sand, I, I'm going to love one another like I have been loved. This is how the world will know that we are Christians by our love I'm going to love. And if we just kind of make this commitment at this day, at this stance, and say, you know what, I'm going to love my brothers and sisters in Christ in this radical way that I think from a, a year from now and even weeks and months from now that it's all going to look so radically different. It's going to look like needs being met. It's going to look like relationships being deepened, new relationships being formed. It's going to look like sacrifice it's going to look like selflessness instead of selfishness. It's going to look like giving instead of only receiving. And to be honest, that's what I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of a church that just kind of dabbles in the idea of Christianity and we just kind of play it cool, you know, so that we can hopefully get by for another day, but... I want us all to experience the fullness of God's love. And the way that's going to happen is through one another. If we do that, then as we neighbor those outside, those who don't yet know Christ, the only real reasonable, rational response is for them to come in. But we've got to check ourselves first. Let's all stand together. <clears throat> Will you pray with me? I just want to ask you while your head is bowed, while your eyes are closed, first, if there's anything that I've said that's uh, offended you this morning, I did not intentionally mean to offend you, and I would ask for your forgiveness. But if you find an offense in the words that I have spoken, is there something in them that God is working through? And are we just responding in, in fear and defense to try to avoid the real issue, or is there something God really wants to do deep within us? And if there is, then I just want to pray for us right now in this moment. Father, I pray in these last few minutes we have together that you, by the power of your Spirit, would reveal to each and every one of us those things that you want us to change so that we more accurately reflect your Son. Those things of this life of self and me first that have continued to hold on to our life in the church that you want us to lay down and let go and to pick up this new selfless love of Christ this love that was so selfless in the way it sacrificed itself for us. Sacrificed for our sins, to pay the price for our sins. 
resurrected, giving us resurrection power over the hold that death has on this life, setting us free from the power of death in us. Ascending to heaven to your place of glory and sending your spirit to empower us, to fill us, to live this kind of life. And Father, I ask for us, I ask for me, and I ask for our church gathered here together for another filling of your spirit this morning. But not a filling for our own selfish desires, our selfish agendas that we may feel good about ourselves and you, but a filling that can be poured out. Father, fill us up to overflowing. Father, that we may receive your love and give your love as we have received it. I pray, Father, if, we, if we're too and so busy holding on to your love, just trying to keep as much of your love to ourselves as we can, I pray, Father, that you would show us that the only way to really receive your love is to have open arms and to be in a position of not only receiving but a position of giving. And, Father, I pray that as we step into this kind of love, this kind of love as a community, that you help us to love one another graciously, that as we try to go deeper in relationships and we unintentionally offend and wound someone, that you'd help us to just be full of grace, that we would overflow in the way that we graciously love one another. But, Father, I pray that we would just not stop at grace and just and just do this gracious kind of a love and relationship as a family. But Father, I pray for truth. I pray that we would get down deep and that we would really get to understand and love one another, the core of who we are, the struggles that we face in our day-to-day walks, the, the challenges that we have from a lifetime of this or that, and the things that we know that through your power, through your love, and through your resurrection, you want to overcome. And Father, I pray that as we get through not only the grace but down deep into the truth, that we would, through this love that we're sharing and giving and receiving, conquer death. We know, we believe, we understand the gift you have for us is life and that you did not intend for us to walk in death any longer. Father, help us to now as a community of believers as we come together under the banner of your love that we come together in life. Uh, we come together not only to receive life, but to give life, that, that we see ourselves not only as coming to church to get life on a Sunday morning, but that we come to church to give life to someone on a Sunday morning, that, that we get together with one another outside of these walls, not only that we may receive life from one another, but that we may give life to one another, and that we see this ministry that we've been called together to love one another in this radical way. And Father, I pray that you would, from this point forward, send us out of this time that we've been spent, spending together together in your word filled by your spirit to radically love each other. A love not based on agenda, not based on what you can do for me, not based on what I can get out of you, but a love that's based on the cross. A love that's founded on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we love one another unconditionally in this way. I thank you for this amazing group of people. I thank you for the way that they have loved me and my family so unconditionally in the time that we've been here. I thank you for the way we've been able to receive and hopefully been able to give that love that we've received to those that are around us. And Father, I just pray not selfishly for more of that for me, but I pray for more of that for all of us that we would all experience this kind of love from this community this summer. In Jesus' name, 